You know, it's easy to get excited about a young couple like this that God has gifted. It's easy to be encouraged that God is still using people to go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's easy for us to share with them and pray for them and get involved in their lives. But yet God has given to all of us the same assignment. And that is to make sure that we are preaching, sharing good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the good news that Josh just shared about was not that there was a hospital there to meet physical needs. That's good news. But the good news is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he's buried, and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's great news. And you and I have the privilege of sharing that news. And one of the reasons we can share that news is because we've experienced the news. And it's part of our lives. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to a very familiar passage of Scripture this morning. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, beginning with verse 16. Now because this is such a familiar passage of Scripture, I'm not going to try to do anything fancy with it. But I want it to impact our lives, and I want us to kind of pull apart the curtain and and see the truth as it relates to each one of us. We have a mission here at Calvary Baptist Church. And you've seen it, and it is on your bulletins most, if not all, Sundays. Growing a great church at Calvary involves multiplying Christ-like disciples who are passionate about their God, who are obedient to His Word, dependent upon Him in prayer, connected to one another, and an authentic and relevant. That is the grid that we look at when we seek to understand the ministry that God has called us to here in Penfield, Battle Creek, Calhoun County, Berry County area. This is it, folks. But the whole purpose of this is to multiply Christ-like disciples. And we need to recognize it. And this morning, we want to talk about what it means to be a Christ-like disciple. Red letter in our lives. How are you, how am I, called to be Christ-like disciples to a world that doesn't care? Not only does this world not like us, this world is indifferent to our message. It's a world that, oh, you believe what you want to believe, leave me alone. If that works for you, okay, but I'm all right. And yet it's a world for which God sent his son to die on the cross. And God has made you and I ambassadors. I am to go into my world. You are to go into your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now as we talk about Christ-like disciples, sometimes we talk a little bit about G.C. Squared. And G.C. Squared is the great commandment and the great commission. Now, the great commandment is this. It's found in Matthew chapter 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And Jesus said, the second's like in it, love your neighbor as yourself. When we understand God's love for us, it's hard not to love him back. Connie and I have celebrated recently 45 years of marriage. I want to tell you, this lady loves me. That's why I can stand up here and give her a hard time. She smiles, she invests, she shares, 
She loves me in spite of me. And you know what? It's hard for me not to love her back. And that's true in all of our lives. If we will love those around us, it's hard for them not to love us back. And if we've experienced God's love, you know, it's really hard not to love him back. After all he's done for me, after all he's done for me, how can I do less than give him my best and live for him completely, love him back? After all he's done for me. And the second is likened to do that, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's more than just being a nice guy. That's more than just talking across the fences. That, that's more than just recognizing an individual by their face and their name. Love your neighbor as God has loved you, as you understand what love's all about. Julius Penn, who has a magic act known as Penn and Teller as an atheist. And you have heard me use this illustration before. One night following the show, a, a gentleman gave to Penn a Bible. It was not offensive. It was not in your face. But he gave him a Bible. Later on, Penn was touched by this. And Penn, again, who is an atheist, said this. That man believed what the Bible said and wanted me to know the truth. And he convicted us by saying, if you really believe that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life, and only through him can you get to heaven, here's what captured my attention. How much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them? You see somebody running in front of a truck, how much you got to hate them not to yell, look out. And yet every day, you and I brush shoulders with those who need to know God's love. And can we really love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might? Can we really love our neighbor and ourselves, and not do the next part of this? And that is fulfill God's assignment in the Great Commission. That's where we are in Matthew chapter 28. Are you still there? Matthew 28, let me begin with verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The text begins by saying, now the 11 disciples. Now we won't take time, but earlier in this chapter, Jesus had directed them going to Galilee. He said, I'll meet you there. And there are some that tell us that there were over 500 folks who were at this meeting. 1 Corinthians 15 said that Jesus after his resurrection was seen by over 500 people. So this could have been a good crowd. We're, we're not sure. But the 11 disciples, the followers of Christ, were told to go to Galilee, and there we would see Jesus. And it's important, I think, for us to recognize that they were told to go to Galilee. 
First of all, they went. This was before superhighways. Josh was telling us a little bit about how far other countries were from Togo, about 100 kilometers, 62 miles, 62 and a half miles. But that's not on I-94. And so it takes some real effort for other people to get to the hospital, for other people to come and get the treatment that they need. These disciples were obedient and went to Galilee after they understood something about the resurrection. But not only were they just obedient, they were also reminded of God's work in their lives as they were tra- Can you imagine the conversations as they went to Galilee? You see, Galilee was the place where 19 of the 32 parables that Jesus taught were given. It's the place where 25 out of the 33 great miracles took place. It's the place that he was transfigured. I mean, this is a place where Jesus was, and there was great evidence of who he was in their lives. Can you imagine what they talked about as they walked to Galilee? Can I stop right here and ask you what you talk about when you think about Jesus working in your life? When you go and meet with Jesus, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to share? You know, we're told to go and meet with him, right? And as we're obedient, what kind of things dominate our thought process and our lives? The disciples went to Galilee, and what did they do when they saw Jesus? Notice in the text, they worshiped. You cannot come face to face with Jesus as a Christ-like disciple and not worship. When we understand who Jesus is, it changes the whole dynamic of our lives. But then the text says some doubted. What did they doubt? This was after the resurrection. This was perhaps the eighth of ten appearances where he showed himself alive. What did they doubt? It wasn't that he was alive. They knew that. So what did they doubt? May I suggest that possibly they doubted what the future was going to hold for them? May I suggest that possibly they doubted how they were going to accomplish what Jesus was going to tell them to do? May I suggest to you that Perhaps they they doubted whether or not they could be effective when he left them. You know, those are all doubts I have every once in a while. How about you? I I wonder, can I really do this? Can, Can I really accomplish what God has called me to do? I I mean, he's not he's not here physically. I know he's here in his spirit who indwells me, but no. Do you have those doubts? I do. And I just wonder if that wasn't the kind of atmosphere 
that was going on here as Jesus met his disciples in Galilee. Worship, but what's next? Worship, but how about the future? Worship, but I'm not sure I'm ready for this. Worship, but I'm not. You fill in the blank. And then Jesus understands what their need is. And in verse 18, he says this. All authority in heaven and in earth has been given unto me. Underline that in your Bibles, will you please? All authority. King James, all power. Now the word authority is an interesting word. The word power is an interesting word. Uh, Many times in the New Testament Greek, the word power is translated from the Greek word dunamis. You know, boom! The big power, right? The big bang. The big impact. That's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here is is the word ekusa. And it has the idea of one who has complete and total say in what's going to happen. It's the word that was used when Jesus came before Pilate. And Pilate said, you know, if I wanted to, I could set you free. Pilate had ecclesia, ecclesia, total and complete control. What he said went. And so the authority, the, the power that Jesus has is complete and total in the fact that he's in control. Amen? Aren't you thankful that God's in control? Whatever's going on in your life, aren't you thankful that he has the authority, the power to take care of it? And he says, all authority is given to me, and note, in heaven and in earth. Think about that. Pilate, the only authority he had was there in Palestine because he was the ruler of Palestine. He didn't have authority in Rome because there was Caesar in Rome. He didn't have authority in the rest of the world because there were others who had the authority there. But Jesus, Jesus has all the authority in heaven and in earth. You remember his disciples one time were in a boat? Remember a storm came up? You remember what Jesus was doing? He was sleeping. Somebody asked me this morning, where's the best place in this worship center to sleep? That's true. Somebody asked me that, didn't you, Tim? (laughs) We have some dear friends visiting us from from Rochester. I don't know how Jesus slept through a, a storm. I've seen some sleep through sermons. But you remember what happened? Disciples roused him and said, hey, don't you care? We're going to die here. Maybe that's why people sleep through sermons. They think they're going to die. We're going to die here. And he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and everything went. 
And they went, who is this guy? Who is this man? Even the wind and the sea obey him. He's the man who has all authority on heaven and in earth. That's who he is. He's the one who has complete and total control. He's the one that says, it's going to happen, and it happens. Now, as you study Scripture, you discover pretty quickly that Jesus had authority. He had authority in his teaching. He had authority in his healing. He had authority to forgive sins. He had authority over sickness and even over Satan. He had authority over the church in Colossians chapter 1. He has authority over believers in Ephesians chapter 4. He has authority to open the scroll according to Revelation chapter 5. And he has authority over sin and death and the grave, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This man has authority. And what is our response? King of my life, I crown him now. Thine shall the glory be, lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow. Lead me to Calvary. We live in a culture that doesn't think much about authority, do we? I'm not a Black Lives Matter kind of guy, but I'll tell you this. If people were to respond to the authority in the first responders' lives, there'd be a whole lot less issues. We don't know about authority. We don't understand authority. We don't recognize authority. And that's us too, huh? I'm not going to ask how many of you speed. I know, that number on the sign is simply a suggestion. It's meant to be an authority. And if you meet a new friend along the highway, you'll find out what authority is all about. The last one I met was four years ago, and it got my attention, $650. They said it was a construction zone. I never saw the signs. That's the question, isn't it? Who's in control? It's all about my rights, my way, my thoughts, my comfort, my needs. And even when we try to be relevant in this culture, we have to understand who the authority is, right? We talk about authentic and relevant. We want to be authentic. We want to meet needs. But it's still about his authority. Sing it with me, will you please? But don't sing it unless you mean it. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow. Lead me to Calvary. It's about an authority. All authority. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And the next verse says, go, therefore. Now, every time there's a therefore, we stop to find out 
what it's there for. The therefore is all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth, and he is the right to give us the assignment. The therefore is he is the one in control, not you and not me. The therefore is he gets to decide. Did you just sing it, king of my life? That's the therefore. And the therefore brings us to the activity, which is to go. Now, I'm thankful for Josh and Beth and their willingness to go. I am so thankful for the way God has worked in your lives. And they trust that end of August, 1st of September, you're gone, right? You got tickets bought for August? Is that my... Yeah, yeah, just shake your heads and go with this with me, will you please? That's good. You've just moved up on the support level. Uh, <laughs> but, but we got to get to the Greek. Because the Greek says, as you are going. Any of you ever go anyplace? Did any of you go to church this morning? Boy, some of you just got here by accident. <laughs> but Jesus takes it for granted that you and I are going to go someplace. I think that's a pretty good assumption, don't you? I want you to think very quickly, where are the places you go? You go to work, you go home, some of you are going on vacation, some of you go out to eat. I was going to say something, but I won't. Um, where do you go as you are going we all go all kinds of places and if I stay home I get cabin fever I've got to go right but as you are going Jesus tells us that we are to make disciples i want you to underline in the text make disciples you see going is not the activity the making of disciples is the activity going is the process whereby the activity takes place going into your home you are to make disciples. Going into your workplace, you're to make disciples. Going to the store, you're to make disciples. Going on vacation, you're to make disciples. Going to the grocery, you're to make disciples. As you are going, make disciples. Christ-like disciples. Because, may I stop right here? You cannot be a Christ-like disciple without understanding the assignment that we are to make disciples. As we are going, we are to make disciples. And how does he define those disciples? He says, of all nations. The Greek word is ethos. Now, where we get our ethnic. Josh and our ABF talked about the, the real variety of ethnicity that's, that's in Togo. And all the languages that are there. And, and many times we think about the red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight, right? But the word is a bit broader than that. The word has the idea 
of understanding that it's not only all nations, ethos, but it's all people groups. Do you know of any people groups that would be identified out of the all nations thing? I told you earlier, God's been working in my life. Tuesday, I went to a pastor's meeting. You'd think they'd be pretty safe, wouldn't you? Not a whole lot of conviction there. <laughs> Talked to a pastor friend of mine who was counseling a homosexual man. The homosexual man said to him, I wished I liked girls. Is that a people group? Ouch! And my pastor friend wept. Trying to get an understanding of how to reach these people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I really believe that's what Jesus is trying to tell us. It's not just every tribe and tongue and nation. It's every people group. And it's even people groups that you and I would shy away from, perhaps. It's, it's even people groups that, that you and I might not want to get close to. Now, even though we might not want to get close to, does that then negate the command to go as we are going? Making disciples out of these people groups? I don't think so. and make disciples of all nations. Those who are of the same habit. <laughs> yeah, I don't like some of the habits that our culture has, do you? There are some in Battle Creek who have the habit of living under a bridge. They're a people group. There are people groups across the the river from us, who are part of KPEP, kind of a halfway house for convicted felons. That's a people group. There are students at Penfield, there are students down at Verona School. As you are going, say, well, I'm going to go to those folks. <laughs> oh, yeah? You see them with their signs at the corner? Make disciples. And by the way, what happens when someone who is a different people group than we are shows up here at Calvary Baptist Church? Do we? Or do we say, you're not dressed right, right? Or you don't fit our mold? And folks, I got to be transparent with you. I've heard those kinds of things said to some of our guests. As you are going, make disciples. And how do we do that? The text says baptizing them. 
Baptism, we would say, would be a public profession of an inward possession, right? We've got a baptistry over here. It's hidden real well behind, the, behind door number one. We've got to move the piano and the, and the keyboard in order to get to it, but it's here. And every once in a while, we will have a public demonstration in somebody's life of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as they follow the Lord, as we would say, in obedience to believers' baptism. But may I go just a bit further with that? Baptism is a visual truth about a personal relationship. It's an outward indication that we are living life with Jesus. And now I ask all of us, Do we show our baptism, our public demonstration that we are part of his out in the world as we are going? Somebody once said, is our statement of faith the only evidence that we have faith? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them. Teaching them what? To observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Go therefore baptizing. Go therefore teaching. Recognizing who God is in their lives. I think it's interesting that this teaching is not just academic it's also practical didasco is the greek word and it has the idea of being authentic you know most of us in here can quote the narrative of scripture we know all about Jonah and the big fish We know all about David and Goliath. We know all about how God met the needs of the Israelites as they wandered through the wilderness. We know all about the miracles of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus. And we can can identify the narrative of Scripture. But if that's the only thing we can identify, we're not doing much teaching. We really aren't. We can recite verses, but if we're unaffected as new creatures in Christ Jesus, we're not making it. Teaching. My brother, Randy mentioned it this morning, his prayer, thank you Randy. My brothers and I just got back from a trip for my dad's 90th birthday. My sister was involved in that she stayed with my mom and we did day trips from Indianapolis and were able to visit all of the churches that my dad pastored in Ohio. I asked dad after the the visit how it went and he said it was a 12 out of 10. That's a good thing because it was his trip. My brothers and I thought it was about an 8. We have lower expectations than dad had. I have a brother, his name's Terry. He's probably, Terry? It's actually Tom, Terry, Tanya, and Todd. Then we had a bunny rabbit by the name of Tottentail. Terry's probably the smartest of all of the bros. 
He's got it together. I mean, he can tell you how to do something. Problem is, he can't do it. He can tell you how to change battery, but he can't do it. He can tell you how to put air in the tires, but he can't do it. There's a disconnect. And as you and I, according to the text, are teaching people, we are teaching them to observe. The the word is to guard. The the word is to watch, to prevent from escaping. Now, we would stand and say, yeah, that's what we do as fundamentalist Baptists. We guard the faith that were once delivered unto the saints. Show up and we'll show you. But what's it say? Teaching them to observe all things that Jesus has commanded. How many times do we try to put on people things that Jesus never even suggested? How many times do you and I have some kind of standard that we think is a God standard that really doesn't hold water biblically? How many times do you and I think, hey, we're the chosen ones, not realizing we're just the frozen ones? You see, the reality is, Jesus said, you're my friends if you do what I command you to do. Remember what he taught about worship? Taught God as a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Remember who he taught that to? The woman at Samaria. The one who had had seven husbands. The one who had gone to the well to get refreshment. Now, I am confident she didn't get it the way we got it together the first time. But he taught her how to worship. Remember what Jesus said about interruptions? He said, suffer the little children to come unto me. Forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Your life get interrupted. Your contacts get blown out of the water because something isn't the way you think it ought to be. Remember what Jesus taught us about forgiveness? (laughs) Peter. Peter, Lord, I'm one of yours. Peter said, I'll never deny you. Remember that? And then he said, Lord, how often should I forgive somebody? Seven times? That's pretty generous, Lord. I mean, somebody violates me seven different times. I just shake off my sandals and go on. Remember what Jesus said? He said, Peter, quit keeping track. Seventy times seven. That's what Jesus taught us. Remember what Jesus taught us about relationships? He said, no matter what, love one another. No matter what, love one another. Teaching them to observe all things that Jesus observed, that Jesus taught us, that Jesus specified. And then what's he say? And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Aren't you thankful for that? Huh. 
Aren't you thankful he never leaves us nor forsakes us? Hebrews chapter 13. It's a wonderful passage of Scripture. And it's in that passage of Scripture that we're told that he never leaves us nor forsakes us so that we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what man shall do to me. But if you look at the context, and, I, and context is so important in Scripture, it says, don't covet money. Don't worry so much about your own stuff. Don't be so concerned about what you got or what you don't got. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Why? Because I'm with you. And aren't you thankful that in our text there are no conditions to be met for that promise to be achieved? Did you note that? He didn't say, I'm with you if. He didn't say, I'm with you but. He didn't say, I'm with you. He said, I'm with you, period exclamation point there's nothing extra to believe Jesus is with us mark it down came across actually I was given Paul Davis know that name new president at ABWE gave me this little book title is risk is right better to lose your life than waste it. I thought, well, maybe I ought to read the thing. And besides, it's just about 50 pages long, no big deal. Can't be too convicting in 50 pages. I mean, I can't get convicting in 35 minutes. He starts with identifying the Israelites. And he says, as they were standing on the brink of the promised land, they ran the risk and chose, they ran from risk and chose to retreat. Instead of staking their lives on the faithfulness of God, they recoiled in fear. You remember that. There's giants in the land. Our God's not that big. And it cost them. Then he says this. We too can retreat into a wilderness of wasted opportunity. We can rest content in casual, convenient, cozy, comfortable Christian lives as we cling to the safety and security this world offers. We can coast through a cultural landscape marked by materialism, characterized by consumptionism, and engulfed in individualism. We can assent to the spirit of this age and choose to spend our lives seeking worldly pleasures, acquiring worldly possessions, pursuing worldly ambitions, all under the banner of cultural Christianity. Or, we can decide that Jesus is worth more than this. We can recognize that he has created us, saved us, and called us for a much greater purpose than anything this world could ever offer us. We can die to ourselves, our hopes, our dreams, our ambitions, our priorities, and our plans. We can do all this because we believe that the person and the plan of Christ bring reward that makes any risk more than worth it. 
all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. You believe that this morning? I only heard one amen. Do you believe that this morning? As you are going, therefore, because all authority, make disciples of all people groups. And how do you do that? Publicly identifying with Jesus Christ. Not only them, but us. And teaching them to observe exactly what Jesus taught us to observe. Nothing more, nothing less. And the great wonder is, He is with us. To the end of the age, forever and forever and forever and forever and forever. Peter puts it this way, 2 Peter 1. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. you believe that? Does that include the great commission and the great commandment? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own. To his own glory and to his own excellence. That's what it's all about. May I ask you, are you a Christ-like disciple today? What are you doing to make Christ-like disciples? This summer, as you are going, what will you commit to do to make Christ-like disciples? You see, it's the grid, isn't it? We talk about passionate, obedient, dependent, connected, authentic, and relevant. The whole purpose of that is Christ-like disciples. Without the Christ-like disciples, it's meaningless. 